Good morning. Pastor Kyle, I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us. Uh, we've been praying for you and just glad that you felt led to come join us in worship. Apologize, our AVL, we got some technical difficulties today, and so we're not going to have lyrics to sing. And uh, we're having summer at the movies without movie clips, so that should be fun. Uh, we'll get through that, and uh, you get to see me act out the movie Minions today, so uh, <laughs> that should be a lot of fun. Uh, I missed being with you last week. Pastor Nancy and I and a couple of our church members were away at a conference up in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, we go to this once a year. Uh, we worship uh, together with 1,100 other United Methodist churches from Western North Carolina. We worship God together. We do some of the church business. Uh, and so we're glad to be back. Just want to thank Kevin for delivering such an awesome message last week. If you were not able to be here for that, just to encourage you to go onto our church website and watch last Sunday's uh, service and the sermon. Uh, Kevin did an awesome job. But uh, I'm glad to be back with you today and just would now invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's Word today, that we would all hear it and allow God's story to become part of our story. So let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're doing a summer series on movies and kind of having some fun using them as illustrations of some biblical truths. Uh, today's movie is Minions, and uh, it's one of four movies, actually, uh, in kind of a series. It started out in a movie called Despicable Me. Then there was Despicable Me 2. Uh, then they made Minions, and now Despicable Me 3 is playing, actually, I think, in this theater. Uh, and so the, the kind of common denominator in all that are these little yellow guys. Uh, they're about waist high on me, I think, if they were real people. Uh, they're shaped kind of like uh, just kind of round, and you just want to kind of hug them. They look like the top of a bullet, sort of. Uh, they're kind of soft and squishy, and they have little arms and little legs. They have these huge eyes. Uh, and they sound funny. They say like bananas and they just kind of run around doing all these funny things. And I tried to get Cole to dress up like one today, but he wasn't going to go for that. Uh, but uh, so anyway, uh, the clip I was going to show you was from the Minions movie, the third movie out of the four, uh, in which it kind of showed the origin or the history of the Minions. And so there's like thousands of these guys walking around. Uh, and basically what Minions do, they live up to their name. Uh, they follow a master and do his bidding. And so their goal in this movie is to be the minions of the meanest, most evil person in all of the world. And it makes for some funny, funny scenes. Uh, later on, they, they follow a, an evil guy who becomes a good guy and they become good minions. But anyway, the point in all of this is they are very clear about what is in the center of their life. They exist to serve a master. So they're really clear about what it is that's the center of their life. So what I would ask us today is the same question, brothers and sisters. What is the, the center of our life? What is the most important thing to us? What do we devote our hearts and our souls and our mind and our strength to? What is at the center of our lives? And not just what we think it should be or what we say it is or tell other people, but when we look at our actions and the way that we live our lives, what's the most important thing to us? What's in the center? What, what is right there that is the most important thing in our lives? 
I think there's two places that we can look that will kind of help us understand what it is that really is the most important thing to us in our lives. I think these two things are our time, how we spend our time, what we devote ourselves to. It's one of the most important resources that we have. And the other one is our money. How do we spend our money? Because our money tells us a lot about what's most important to us because money is a valuable resource. It's how we survive in the world. It's how we provide for ourselves and for our families. And so if we want to know truly what is the most important thing in our lives, I think if we look at our our calendars and we look at our checkbooks or our bank statements or our credit card receipts, we're going to find out a lot about ourselves through the way that we spend our time and our money. And there are a lot of things competing for our time and our money, right? When we think about our time, most of us work or go to school eight or ten hours a day. Uh, I was reading this week, uh, looking up some, some things that people do, and the average person spends two hours on social media a day, five hours watching television a day, right? So that's 17 hours. That leaves us about seven hours to sleep and eat and hang out with each other and get chores done and maybe go to the bathroom, right? So that's, there's a lot of stuff that's competing for our attention on our calendar, and then when we think about money, there's a lot of stuff we have to spend money on. We have to have a place to live, right? A house or an apartment or, or somewhere like that. We have to have food to eat. We have to have clothes on our body. We have medical expenses. We have insurance expenses. We have to have transportation. We have to pay for education. Uh, we have taxes. We like to give gifts to people. And, oh, yeah, we do like to buy stuff for ourselves as well and have fun and go to the movies and have gadgets and gizmos and surround sound and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that is competing for our time and for our money. And so maybe in the back of of your mind today and maybe the rest of the week, I invite you to take a personal audit. You know, what does that look like? It doesn't have to be too detailed, but major, major categories of I spend most of my money on this or I spend most of my time on this. And I think pretty soon we're going to get a picture of what it is in our lives that's most important to us. So those are two very valuable resources. So I want to look at it from God's perspective. I want to turn to Scripture today. If you have your Bibles, or it's kind of hard to see in the dark, but if you've got your tablet or your smartphone, you want to look along on, on a Bible app, that's totally cool. I want to go back into the Old Testament, second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus. And well, you've heard of the Ten Commandments, you know, that God gave to Moses to give to the people of God, the people of Israel. And Actually, there's more than 10 of them. There's actually 613 commands. So there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, but I'm just going to focus on one today. The very first one, whether it's 10 or 613, the same number one is number one. So this is the most important thing that God says to us from this law. So in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. So as the minions have a master that they serve, God says that the most important thing in our lives is supposed to be God. To have no other gods before the one and only God, right? So our time and our money and everything that we do should somehow come back to God being our main priority. But what does that look like in everyday life? Are we supposed to give God 24 hours a day? Are we supposed to give God 100% of our pay? You know, I don't think it works that way. So what does that really look like? If God's going to be the priority of our time, if God's going to be the priority of our money, if God's going to be the priority of our life, what does that look like? You know, and 
So now with scripture, it gives us some, some really good indicators when it comes to money. Right? As we read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's, there's one number that keeps popping back up, and that number is 10%. To give God 10% through the church. And, and that seems to be something that we see all the way back in the book of Genesis. We see it all the way up into the New Testament with Jesus, that 10%, for many of us, is a way of saying, God, you are more important than anything else. And I'm going to live off 90%. I'm going to give you 10%. That's important. Right? And it's not a hard and fast rule. Sometimes it's harder than that. Right? In the Old Testament, there were actually up to three different ties where people were giving 30% of their income to God. Can I get an amen that we don't live in the Old Testament times anymore? Right? Like, wow, that's a lot of money. Right? And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus sometimes makes things harder. He told one guy, I want you to sell everything that you have and give all of your money to the poor. Right? So that's not 10%. That's not 30%. That's 100%. Now, he doesn't call us all to do that, but, but that was this guy's hang-up, and that was his issue. And so Jesus was trying to save him and his soul to say, you got to let go of that. Right? There's another passage in Scripture where Jesus is watching people come, and they're giving their money to the temple, which was kind of like their church of the day. And, and he comments that this one lady, this old lady comes up, and she gives two coins. And he says, that is more important to me than, than these other gifts of like hundreds or thousands of dollars. Now, you know, that's important, but, but the people that are giving all that big sums of money, right, it's not affecting them. They're not missing that. They have lots of money. This woman is giving two coins. That's all she's got. And so that means so much more to me. So what I draw from that is, is that if God's going to be our God, that we need to show him that he's God over our money and our stuff and that we're called to give sacrificially, whether that's 5%, 10%, 15%, 30%, whatever, 100%, right? It's a sacrifice that we're going to miss this money. It's going to affect the way that we live our lifestyle because God is God and money is not. And Jesus gives us some counsel with that in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. right? You, you, you can't have that. Either you love God more than your money and your stuff, or, or we don't. Right? And I don't know about you, but in my life, when, whenever that, you know, I focus on stuff that's, that's not God and I, I want to buy nice things and buy stuff for my family and buy things for myself, you know what? It never seems to be enough. Right? Somebody could ask me, how much money, Kyle, would be enough for you? And, and, and I think I would represent, like most people on the planet, well, a little bit more would be, would be okay. Right? I'd feel a little bit better if I was making a little bit more. And then we make a little bit more. Well, are you comfortable? You know, this is great, but I could use a little bit more. And, you know, when I buy stuff and I've wanted it you know, for a long time and I buy it and I have fun with it, you know, it's cool, it's, it's awesome, I'm hanging out with it, whatever, pretty soon that newness wears off. There's never been a purchase in my life to where I've bought it and I'm like, wow, this is it. I'm never going to have to buy anything else ever again. Have you guys ever experienced that? Right? Where you buy something and it's like, wow, I'm done buying stuff. This is my meaning in life. It's, I, I, I can die happy now. I, I have everything that I ever wanted. Because if stuff is our God, it's always going to leave us wanting more. And so God says, don't let money get in the way of our relationship. Now, with time, it's a little more tricky, 
Right? Are we supposed to give God 10% of our day? Are we supposed to give God 20% of our day? Are we supposed to give God 30% of our day? Are we supposed to give God 50%? Right? Do we give God a full day on Sunday? Right? We're supposed to be doing that. We do know that in the Bible, right? To give Sunday, set that apart to God. Right? But what does that look like? And there's no real hard and fast answer in the Bible as far as like percentage of time. Right? But, but if we're given like social media two hours a day, right? It says that some of us give social media up to nine hours a day. I guess that's infringing upon our work. I don't know, right? Unless we're just not sleeping or whatever. And we're giving God, you know, we're watching, the average person's watching five hours of television a day. So that's seven hours that we're given to social media and television, right? And now if this service goes over today, an hour service by five minutes, I guarantee that some of you are going to be very mad at me. And it's going to be like I punched your mama right in the face. How dare you go five minutes over, Pastor Kyle? Don't you know we got Fourth of July weekend? We got to go do stuff, right? We, we give you an hour. We're not giving you 65 minutes. How dare you do that? Or how many of us, you know, think, man, I want to read the Bible today. I want to pray today. And you know what? I got two minutes in. Woohoo! I did something great, right? Or, you know, I do pray. I pray to God every day, 30 seconds right before the meal starts, right? Right? So we're given seven hours of our lives to social media and television. How many minutes in the day does God get? How much do we read the Bible? How much do we pray? How often do we come to worship? How much do we serve God? You know, there's some people who, who were here at 7 o'clock this morning setting up what we do, and they'll be here through noon taking it all down. Right? They're given five hours of their day. I think that counts as God time. In our lives, how much time are we giving God? When we're doing all these other things, if God's truly the most important part of our life, can we give God 30 minutes a day or an hour a day, five minutes? To, what does that look like? The Apostle Paul really writes something cool uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. That's kind of helped me see it in a different way. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Right? I like the first couple of parts of that. Rejoice always, wherever we are, to, to be giving thanks to God. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for my family. Thanks that I have a job. Thanks that I'm driving in this car, right? Pray continually. Another translation of this says, pray without ceasing. Right? So it's kind of like we have this ongoing dialogue with God, right? I'm, I'm going into school today. I know this, I've got a big test coming up, or uh, this is the hallway I have to walk through. Sometimes I get bullied. You know, God, be with me today. Or going into a meeting at the office today, and I'm excited about it. Can't wait. God, please, thank you that I have something important to share, and please let people receive this well. Or, wow, that's an awesome sunset. Or, you know, God, I love just hanging out with my family, watching this football game. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of that. I mean, maybe that's a way for us to begin to see that God is not just in a minute here, a minute there, but that God can be with us always. Right? And I think it's both. I think we, we do have to set some intentional time apart to, to pray and to be in a small group and to worship and to serve God, but that God can be with us throughout our day because we all have to go to work. We have to go to school, right? We, we have to eat, right? But if we're given seven hours to television and social media and no time to God, well, guess what's our priority? And guess what? Worship. And there's nothing wrong with social media and there's nothing wrong with television. Well, some stuff's wrong with television, but you understand what I'm saying. Maybe another way to frame the question is this. Would we love God as much as we love God right now if some of the things in our lives started disappearing? Would we love God as much if tomorrow we had to move out of our house? 
and we had to downsize? Would we love God as much as we do today if we had to move to a different neighborhood, uh, a neighborhood that we have to downsize and maybe be a little bit more dangerous to live in? Would we love God the same if we didn't have our cars that we drive or the nice clothes that we wear or, or have an abundance of food to eat? Would we love God as much if that stuff started disappearing? Right. Will we love God as much if we made half of what we're making today as far as our salary? Will we love God as much if we, if we had to bump down from the upper class to the middle class or from the middle class to the lower class or from the lower class to the lower of the lower class? Right? If we lost our job today and we couldn't provide food for our families, would we love God as much as we love God right now? Will we love God as much if our health began to fail? If we lost our vision or we lost our hearing or we had to have uh, an arm or a leg amputated, uh, will we love God as much if we got diagnosed with terminal cancer and, and it was painful terminal cancer? Will we love God as much? Will we love God as much if, if the people that we love, our family and our friends, left us and went away and said, I'm tired of you. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I, I just, I'm getting away from you. Will we love God as much if our friends and our family that we love so much, just they died? Right? They were in a tragic accident or they got cancer and died or, or, or whatever. They are gone from us, whether it's too early in life or whether it's late in life. Would we love God as much if all that stuff was stripped away from us? What I'm asking, is God enough by himself? Or do we love God because of the stuff God gives us? Is God enough for us or... Do we love God because he gives us really cool stuff? What is it about God? Do we love God? Right? In the book, of, in the Old Testament of Job, the book of Job in the Old Testament, that book explores this, right? This guy named Job, he has everything. He's rich and he's wealthy and he has land and he has a huge family and he has a reputation and people love him and everything in his life's going right. And then all of a sudden, it all is taken away from him in tragic, tragic way. And the question of the book of Job is, how's he going to respond? Because he's a God-fearing, God-loving man when everything's going right for him. But when it all goes away, is he going to stay in love with God and obedient to God and faithful to God? Or is he going to say, you know what, God, I'm going to curse you and I'm going to walk away. If you're interested in that, I invite you to check that book out. Read it for yourself. We don't have time to go through that today, but that's the whole premise of the book of Job. What's he going to do? How much does God really mean to him? Is God... Enough for him, or is it because he has all this wonderful stuff? And I think about, you know, I think about people in our world that we see on television, and maybe we visited places, or maybe we've been on a mission trips somewhere, who have less than we do. Right? I think about people who are living in Syria right now, and, and they're being bombarded by ISIS, that group of terrorists that, that's coming in, and they're blowing up their cities, and they're you know, bulldozing people's homes and they're killing parents and children and grandmothers and grandchildren and, and they're coming in and they're torturing people and they're raping people. And, and so like these children are orphaned and, and they have nothing living in a war zone. You know, parents have lost their spouses and, and their children and their parents. And, and I'm just thinking, right, if I'm in that situation and, and some of these folks are trying to get out of their country and be refugees in other countries and some will accept them and some some won't, right? If I'm that person in Syria right now, real life person like you and me just happens to be born in a different location, is God enough for me? Or we go south to Haiti from here, from our country, just down past Florida, right in the Caribbean, where everybody else takes all these cruises and stuff, and it's a great place to go, with the exception of Haiti. It's like the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. 
Don't you go down there and people are starving to death. And, and you see 20 people living in a mud thatch hut in the 21st century. And, and their children, if they're lucky, are walking five or ten miles to a Christian school uh, you know, one way. And they're going to receive the only meal of the day is by going to that school. And their kids will get a, a small helping of rice and beans. Right? And, and, and their children are dying of diseases uh, that we have the immunizations for here in America. If you go to Haiti, if you go to Syria, and you ask these folks, is God enough for you? What do you think they're going to say? Now, I've never been to Syria. I've been to Haiti multiple times, and I see it go two ways. In some cases, I see the people of Haiti who have so much less than we are. They love God because God is all that they have. It's God in them, right? And so their whole life is about God. And, and some of them with nothing are happier than many of the people that I know living in America. But I've also met people in Haiti who have absolutely nothing and they hate the thought of God. How could God bless people in America, but in our own country, right? We're dying and we're starving and, and our children are dying, right? I don't believe in God. If there is a God, well, then I'm mad and I hate him, right? God's certainly not enough for me. And so I think it goes both ways. And I think it could go both ways for us. And so maybe that's a question that we're going to each have to answer ourselves. So I've been thinking about it for me. Why do I love God? Is God enough for me? What is it that in my life might be, uh, I might be tempted to place in front of God as a priority with my time and with my money? And I've observed, right, I've been in this now 22 years as a pastor, and I've seen uh, a trap that I and some of my colleagues can fall into is that sometimes we kind of twist things around. We're trying so hard to serve God in our churches, our local churches, that sometimes serving God in the church, the church becomes more important to us than our personal relationship with Jesus, right? I got to write my sermon. I got to make this visit. I got to get this thing out. You know, we're doing this dream big thing. And it just, it becomes so important that we focus on God's work rather than on God. And I've seen a lot of pastors get in trouble. They do bad things morally. They get thrown out of the ministry and you know, I've been in the position to where sometimes I elevate church over God and, and that's not been a good thing for me. And so I really try to keep on top of that. And, and some days it's great and some days it's not. Right? But that's not my highest temptation. Right? So the, the, the most tempting thing for me to place above God is my family. The people that I love, and specifically Laura, my wife, my son Luke, who is nine, my son Nathan, who's five, and certainly my parents and, and Laura's family and you know, all of our extended family. I just want to focus on like, like, like the nuclear family right now. Right, Laura, Luke, and Nathan. And so, you know, when I was younger and single, uh, a movie came out uh, named Signs with Mel Gibson. You might have seen that. And uh, in that movie, he is a, he's a priest. Uh, he's a, I think he's an Episcopalian priest because he's married and he has children. Uh, and at the beginning of the movie, his wife's in this tragic accident and she dies. And leaving him as a widower and leaving him with these two, well, these young children to raise. Uh, and that's like the opening scene. Yeah, cheery movie. Uh, and so, uh, you know, right after that, you fast forward time and you notice that he's no longer a priest. And he's given up the priesthood. And he, he's, he's mad at God. And I remember when I was a young, single man, and I was, I was thinking, you know what, that's tragic. You lost your wife, but dude, you're such a sellout. How could you walk away from God? You're a priest. You got to know that she's in heaven. You're going to see her again. You know, what kind of faith do you have? Right? I was very judgmental of that scene in the movie. And, 
and uh, in a self-righteous kind of a way. I could never do that, you know. But now that I'm married with kids, I get it. You know, God forbid something like that happened to Laura and Luke and Nathan. You know, I would want to say to you that I would remain a believer. I would remain a pastor. And I think there would be days that I certainly would. But there would be days that I'd be so mad at God, I want to have nothing to do with him. And I think about heaven and, you know, I'm excited to go to heaven. I'm not ready to go right now because I still have some living to do, right? But uh, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. But I, I'll be honest with you, and maybe you shouldn't say this because I'm supposed to be a pastor. But, you know, if heaven is every minute of every day worshiping God, I think that's going to get old. Uh, and, and I love Cole and I love our worship that we have here. I love Kathy and our, you know, our traditional service at the beginning uh, of our first service here on, on Sunday mornings. And I, I'm looking forward to worshiping God in heaven. But if that's all we're going to do, man, I don't know if I want to spend a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years just worshiping God. I just think that's going to get old. Like I want to go see the beaches of heaven. I want to see the mountains of heaven. I want to see the solar system of heaven. And I want to spend time with my wife and with my children. I want to spend time with my parents. And I want to spend time with the grandparents that I got to know. And I want to spend time with the grandparents that died while I was young and didn't have a chance to know. I want to hang out with my friend who, when she was 16, was killed in a car accident. I want to see friends who have gone on to be with God and friends who are going to be going to be with God, right? God created us to be in relationships, right? So certainly heaven's not going to be heaven unless we're there together. And so what I'm saying is what is a danger for me with God, putting above God is my family, with my family. And that makes these next patches of scripture really hard for me to deal with. I want to read those to you. I want to, I want to read this to you from Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verse 37. These are the words of Jesus. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus, the son of God, God himself says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. If you don't hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Well, maybe I don't want to be your disciple, right? When I see that passage of Scripture, I'm like, man, that is harsh, right? I want to get out my scissors and cut that out of the Scripture. And I'm like, what? are you serious? We have to hate people to love you, God? What is this all about? Well, obviously, the English translation, there's something beneath that. And so, I, you know, I researched this. I did, you know, dig into this. And, and these passages of Scripture are saying we don't really have to hate our family. But it does say that we have to put God first above them. That there is a hierarchy. There is a priority. God is number one. And the people of our lives are a close second, but they're second. Right? There's people that, who are in families who don't believe in Jesus. And they're trying to, to get followers of Jesus and their family away from Jesus. He's like, no, you I'm your real family. You can't go with those in your family who are not following me, right? And at the end of the day, if you have to make a choice, then it's God first and, and then your family. So I still wrestle with this. I struggle with that. And, and I've been thinking, though, could these passages of Scripture be a gift to us? Could they be a gift to the people that we love in our lives? And by that, let me explain. So if I love Laura and I love Luke and I love Nathan more than I love God, right? I think I'm putting them in an unfair position because 
at some point, they're going to disappoint me. At some point, they're going to fail me. At some point, they're not going to be perfect because they're not God and they're not perfect. Just as how I'm going to disappoint them and I'm going to fail them no matter how hard I try to do it. You know, I'm just, I'm not perfect. And so if I'm looking for them to be the core meaning of my existence, well, I'm going to be disappointed, right? You may or may not believe it. Sometimes Laura doesn't like my sermons, right? Sometimes she doesn't think my jokes are funny. Neither does God, right? Sometimes he's like, what are you saying, dude? Right? Sometimes she's not going to be able to understand me. As much as I pour my soul out to her, some things about me, there's no one in the world can understand with the exception of God. And that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. I remember when I was a teenager and I began dating and I was, you know, I was in love with like my girlfriend at the time. And right, I just want to spend all my time with her. And, you know, and to the point of like, I, somebody's like, dude, you're smothering her. You're, like, you're putting her on a pedestal and, and she doesn't want to be worshipped. I'm like, yes, she does. She's loving this. She loves being worshipped, right? And, and she did love it for a while, but then it got creepy. She's like, yeah, I don't want to see any more of you, man, right? It is cool when people worship us for a little while, but then it gets creepy because we're not God and we can't meet all their expectations. My boys are going to rebel against me. They're, they're going to grow up and they're going to move off and they're going to have their own lives. And if my life is, is around that, right, then I'm going to be disappointed. Already at five and nine, they don't agree with everything that I have to say. Imagine that, right? I'm going to talk about Nathan for a minute. He's our five-year-old. And I've shared before in you know, previous teaching messages and sermons that you know, we lost a child between Luke's birth and Nathan's birth. We had Laura and I went through a miscarriage and lost a child. So it was very traumatic, as you might imagine. And many of you have been through that. And uh, so we waited a while before we tried to have another child, which would end up being Nathan. And near the end of Laura's pregnancy, her pregnancy became complicated. We, we almost thought we were going to lose Nathan uh, before he was to be born. At his birth, we had complications that were a huge scare. The first week of his life, we were rushing all over Charlotte, driving him to heart specialist and lung specialist because something wasn't going on right, but it all worked itself out, right? So this is our miracle baby, right? And we love Luke and Nathan equally, obviously, and I'm just focusing on this one example today, but you, just, you get a sense of, I just love him so much, and his life means so much because we know it was such a hard start just to get here that God must have something incredibly huge in store for him. Now, if, if I place over, overly important focus on him, if I treat him as if he's God, that's going to be a lot of pressure that he's not going to be able to live up to. And it's not going to be overt. It's going to be more subconscious of, you know, why is daddy disappointed with me? Or why can I never please daddy? You know, it's going to be this message that I'm sending Maybe not out loud, but just in the way that I live my life. If I'm looking to him to be God, he can't be God. And he will fail me, I will fail him, and our relationship will suffer. And all that we went through and the praying and all the miracles of him being born could be wasted because I'm placing him in a position that he's not ready for and I don't need to be placing him in. So I think the commands not to put other people above God is a gift to us because we're setting ourselves up for relationships that will hurt and eventually be doomed because God is God and we're not. But here's the really good news, brothers and sisters. I don't think it's an either-or situation. I think we can love God and our families. We can love God and our friends. We can love God and our jobs. We can love God and Facebook and Twitter, right? But we got to get the priorities right. 
God has to be number one because God is God. God created us in God's image, and that's good. God has plans for us to be a part of something bigger than who we are. Right? God knows every thought and understands everything about us. God sent his son into the world to die on a cross and to come back to life so that our guilt and shame we feel about the wrong stuff that we do can be taken away and we can be forgiven and we can find inner peace and we can find meaning and we can have joy in our lives. We can find direction and purpose and we can live life to the full and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven because God loves us and only God deserves to be placed in the center of our lives. And so the good news, brothers and sisters, is that God is enough and God gives us even more. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. God is enough and God gives us even more. And so what I'm asking you to do today, brothers and sisters, is to join me in making God the center of our lives. Make God the center of our lives. God has to be the priority with our time and with our money and with our hearts and with our thoughts and with our actions, right? Make God the priorities, uh, the priority of our lives because only God deserves it and only God can handle it. Only God deserves it and only God can handle it. Make God the priority of our lives. In Christ's holy name, amen. Let us pray.